All right. Welcome back to the Zelosophy Podcast. Uh, we got a great episode for you today, but first, a few announcements. We got the new show, new TV show online. Zelosophy TV with Uncle Z and Friends is now live on YouTube, and we're getting great feedback about Rich Hader and Nana Z and uh, Old School Bobby. We also have a GoFundMe page, so if you want to contribute to the cause so we can keep making that show and this podcast, you can go to GoFundMe and look up Zelosophy TV with Uncle Z and Friends. Got some upcoming appearances. I have a new one that was just added yesterday, Sunday, March 1st. I'll be at the National Golf Expo at the Seaport World Trade Center in Boston with Hardy from 98.5, the Sports Hub. You guys know Hardy from the Zolak and Bertrand show and uh, maybe from his golf show, the Sports Hub Golf Club seasonal show where he interviewed me. He loves the philosophy on golf, so we're going to be talking about that at the expo and maybe even sign and sell some books. So come and see us on March 1st, Sunday. Saturday, March 21st, I'm going to get to go to Nashville. I hope you can come and join me there. I'll be at the Tennessee State Museum in Nashville doing a philosophy talk on har harmony and how we use examples of musical harmony to build a harmonious society. That's a good one. The talk is sponsored by Delgado Guitars and Cremona Strings, and I'll be hitting the stage at 11 a.m., so keep an eye out for that. More details on both of those coming up soon. Uh, now to today's episode. We are doing a special episode today to honor uh, a, a gentleman who's no longer with us. He's an American hero, and his name is uh, James Jimmy Dicker. He passed in December. He, was, uh, he got two Purple Hearts and a Bronze Star in Vietnam, which I learned at, uh, at his wake in December. Uh, I was classmates with his, uh, two of his kids. Kim uh, was, I graduated with Kim. She was my year, and Tommy came a few years afterwards. And Tommy Dicker is with us today to talk about his dad. And this is a special thing because this guy uh, really did a lot for our country and served his community well. And we here at the Philosophy Podcast want to honor people like that. So that's what we're going to do today is honor a great American and a hero, really. And so I hope that you enjoy this. Coming up next with Tommy Dicker. Okay, here we are with Tommy Dicker. How's it going, Tommy? Going great, thanks. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks for uh, having Tommy's me. Tommy's a good friend of mine, for those who don't know. And before we start and get into your dad's story, I just want to give a shout-out to our mutual friend, Marky Leitner. Oh, yeah. Who uh, I've known since kindergarten, yeah. since we were five years old, which is quite a long time at this point in our lives. Absolutely. And uh, Mar this whole podcast was actually Maki's idea. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. He listens to a lot of podcasts about preppers and all kinds of, of crazy stuff. Does, yes. <laughs> uh, but he, you know, he knew what I'm doing and and said, dude, you gotta do a podcast. And that was just over maybe like fourteen months ago. I had never never even listened to one yeah. before he said that to me. And so I listened to a bunch of Bill Burr and yeah. a bunch of Joe Rogan and then I was like, okay, I get it. I know what I need to do. And awesome. so shout out to Maki and also a little little jab at Maki that Tommy came on. <laughs> Tommy and Maki, for those who don't know, are both Watertown cops. 
uh, and they work a lot together. They're very close. So uh, I also thought it would be funny to bring Tommy on before Mark. That's so, great. Ha-ha. Yeah. <laughs> See, you can be kind and still be a pain in the ass. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the message there. All right. So um, to get to a more serious topic, we're yeah. here to talk about your dad yeah. who just passed in December. And I know that that's uh, been really tough for you. Yeah. Uh, as it is when you lose a parent, I've been lucky enough to not have to deal with that yet in my life. Um, but I'm, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, but I learned a lot about your dad through that process that I didn't know, that he was a Vietnam War hero. Yeah. And he's got two purple hearts and a bronze star that we're looking at here. Yeah. And when you guys, uh, you'll be able to see the photo of Tommy and I that we just took with uh, all of his medals and some of the photos. And I thought that it would just be a really cool way. You know, I joke a lot. You listen to the podcast. You're a fan. You know, yeah. I joke with my friends that this is just amateur free therapy for me and my friends. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I thought that that would be a good therapeutic thing for you to talk Absolutely. to you about your dad. But also as important or more important, you know, to honor his memory, because this is a guy who did a lot for his country, did a lot for his community. He did a lot for his family. And I think it's important that we remember those people. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So uh, just thought one more note for the people out there who are listening, because we have people of all different political be- beliefs and backgrounds out there. I want to say something. Um, I do a lot of charity work for veterans, for active military through uh, my Masonic obligations in Lexington, Massachusetts. And because I think it's important to give back to the people who give so much to this country. Uh, for those out there who are so appalled by war that they don't do that, um, I would like to appeal to you to think differently about that because you will not find anyone in this world who is more opposed to the ideology of war than me. Yeah, I think it's disgusting that we still have it in our society today. I can't believe it's still happening. If you, By the way, if you like Bill Burr's podcast go, or if you— if you like him, go listen to his podcast. He rants about this all the time. But the fact is that it does still happen and that there are people that go and put their lives on the line for us. Yeah. Um, and as human beings, it's important for us to thank those people. And, you know, we really saw the first nasty part of that after Vietnam when those people came back from a war that maybe we didn't belong in, but we were in it. And there were real people that were in it that yeah. were sacrificing their lives and their time that they could have been spending with their family to go fight this war. And many of them were treated despicably when they came back. Yeah. And I know that your dad was, had some stories about that too. So part of this is to sort of heal that too and realize that these are not warmongers, the soldiers. Maybe the people that create the wars are, maybe, yeah. or maybe they're not. But right. the people that fight in them are human beings that are trying to do their best for what they think is best for the greater good. And I think that it's always important for us to remember that and for us to acknowledge them and for us to thank them, whether we agree that they went for the right reasons or not. Right. They're not the ones that are choosing to go. Absolutely. So that uh, just to set the table for yeah. the conversation. And, you know, where do you want to start? We're talking about uh, talking no, I, about I think that dad. was a, a great intro. I, I mean, I, I was thinking about this, obviously, uh, since we talked about doing the podcast and um you know, I, I'm not sure my dad even knew why he was going to Vietnam. I, I'm not sure he knew what the right. war was even about. Right. Um, and uh, but felt the sense of duty and honor to represent his country and do what he felt was just and right. And uh, and I think that was the belief of a lot of guys back then. And, yeah. Um, you know, I, I talked about I was I was um, tasked with doing the eulogy. My family chose me, which was 
uh, incredibly humbling and honoring to, to, to do uh, eulogy at his, at his wake and funeral and um, coming up with, you know, I hope I did did them well in doing it. It was you, it was a you toughest did. thing I was I had in, to do. I was in the audience. Yeah. That is not an easy thing no. to do. It's not something I wish on anybody. And uh, you did you did very you did a very honorable job. Yeah, thank you. So and and I, I actually brought it with me just because there were some notes in there and dates that I might I might have messed up. But um, he he grew up in Watertown, um, a typical Watertown guy, and his family moved to Las Vegas in his senior year. Uh, I think he kind of, you know, in a day and age back then where Facebook and, you know, all these different platforms to stay in touch with people, I think he, they moved to Las Vegas and he lost touch with a lot of people. Sure. Um, maintained a relationship with my mom, which was great, uh, probably through handwritten letters and yeah. maybe the occasional collect phone call or something. Yeah, no text. No, nothing. I mean, <laughs> Back and, in the day when you didn't even know who was someone, I just watched this comedy special, I forget who it was, maybe Chappelle. Back in the day, where you didn't know who was calling until you picked up the phone. Exactly, I, I've seen the same one, um, and it's so true, right? I mean, uh, I try to explain it to my kids now, just the differences. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. They to don't them. get it, yeah. right? Um, but you know, maintained a relationship with my mom, um, and really wasn't sure what he was going to do. He was kind of stuck out in Vegas with his family and, and um, joined the military. Uh, he, he enlisted in the United States Army, which back then the draft was going on, and most guys of age were getting drafted and. Uh, my dad didn't get drafted. He enlisted. Wow. wow. Um, so, did he ever tell you why he felt he should do that? You know, I I think he just he grew up tough. He had a tough life growing up. Um, yeah. He had his his dad walked out on the family when he was about eight years old. Wow. Uh, really never got to know him all that well. Um, his mom remarried. Uh, second guy was kind of a uh, not a great guy. Uh, yeah. He, he ended up passing away. Um, some people would say, luckily, you know, that, that it was yeah. a good thing that that happened. Um, yeah. my dad didn't really have a, a great relationship with him either. Um, and a, a weird little twist in my family, but my, my grandmother actually remarried her first husband's brother. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a twist. So I have, we have some weird relationships in our family where uncles are also cousins and stuff like that. And, um, I could make a great Southern yeah, joke here, but I, I don't want to know, offend anyone. And that's the thing. I'm like, I probably just put too much out there in a way, but yeah. no, that's, I mean, look, it, look, we can't hide from what has happened and right. who we are. Right? right. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, and I think he just didn't kind of know what he was going to do. And, um, and obviously had, uh, you know, a, a profound love for his country, yeah. um, and and thought that that was the the thing to do. A lot of his friends were getting called up and, right. and going over to war again, fighting in a war they didn't necessarily know what it was about. And, right. Um, I'm not sure even we even know now to this I, I day what it was exactly. about. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> the real truth. Right. I mean, and, and imagine that being a, a young kid. How old was he? So he was 18. He, he, Jeez. they say he graduated Las Vegas. I've never seen a diploma. I, I, I don't know, but he, uh, well, you can get a lot of, uh, a lot of degrees in Vegas yeah, that aren't written down right. on paper. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so who knows? We won't go into that. We don't want to dig up any old skeletons right, here. Right. So 18, I mean, can you imagine that Julie, like 18 years old, uh, you're going over to the Pacific to fight in this war again that you don't even know what it's about. Yeah. And who these people are that you're fighting and why they're why we're fighting them. I right. Mean, it's just so crazy to me to, to think about that. It's nuts. My first introduction or the first time I learned about the Vietnam War, I hope nobody minds me saying this, is uh, one of my favorite films, Born on the Fourth of July, mm. which captures the innocence of those boys um, in high school 
and um, you know their their attraction to going and their yeah their long their feeling um, their sense drawn. of duty yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so that was it was the always first interesting watching about uh, movies about the Vietnam War with my dad it was yeah. always a, a you know he'd tell you which ones he thought were more realistic and more. Um, told the story better yeah. of what they Do you were remember really which ones those were? You know, were? he always talked about Hamburger Hill. Oh, yeah. Um, and said it was a really good one. Yeah. Um, he was Army, wasn't Marines. Like, Full Metal Jacket was kind of like the, you know, was one of them. Right. That he enjoyed, but he was a he Army couldn't guy, not a Marine guy, right? So yeah. he didn't go through the same type of boot camp or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Um, what was that? Sergeant Hulka was the character. And... He was awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, did he ever have a tough time watching those movies? Did he ever share with you guys about any PTSD that he had? Or Yeah, no. I, I mean, I, I know he's a pretty tough guy, and those guys usually held it in pretty good. Yeah, I, I think – no, he didn't. And, and yeah. um, I think a lot of, like, the life lessons that I've learned were, were by virtue of what he had been through and what he had gone through. Yeah. But – um, That'll make you grow up real fast. It does. You know, I, I can remember, I remember, and I, I'm glad I had the wherewithal at the time, but I remember going through some tough times at 18, 19, 20 years old and in college and just thinking to myself, geez, like here I am complaining about whatever. And as you just said, I got my dad at 18 was in the Pacific in some right. unknown land, shooting people that he didn't know and dealing with death and, and everything else that is associated with war. And, uh, and I really have nothing to be uh, complaining about at this point in my life, you know. So um, those are some of the lessons I took with me um, from yeah, his time and it's there. a good lesson because like we can all uh, relate to that when we've complained about something, and yeah. then you realize what some something that someone else has gone through, and yeah. it sort of wakes you up a little bit too. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, that gives you perspective, which we all need, especially right. kids today. A lot of people would say, right? right sure, yeah. So we try to we try to um, you know it's it's a little hotter because it's a generation removed, but I try to use a lot of those lessons with my uh, my kids and what they're going through and how the, any of the problems they might face. And one of the big problems, obviously, was the passing of my father, and and right. trying to get that through to my kids and explain it to them in a way that they understood. Yeah. Um, and you know some of the lessons he taught me helped with that. So yeah, and you know again as a kid going to war, you learn real fast about mortality, sure. right? And I think that it's something that we don't talk about enough in modern society. That hey, you know, none of us are staying here. Right. We're here for a finite time. And, and you know, again, I've said this. You probably heard on the podcast. Whatever your beliefs are about past lives, future lives, you know, I'm open to all that. I think that for me, I believe that all that stuff. There's truth there. But there's one undeniable thing that we only have one shot at this life, yeah. each of us. So uh, how do we do our best and how do we realize that that use that perspective of mortality that we won't be here forever right. as this person to do the best that we can for our country, sure. for our family? Um, you know, another thing I learned about your dad that I didn't know is that he had heart problems for, what, 25 years or so? Yeah. So, uh he was 42, which was yeah. my age now. Yeah. Working nights. I'm working nights now. Uh, and he had his first heart attack at 42 on the job while he was working. Crazy. Um, yeah, so it kind of puts things in perspective, yeah. kind of living that life now. Obviously, I try to do a better job of taking care of myself and stuff. But sure. Uh, health issues started back then. Um, he's had a number of, uh, had, well, had had a number of surgeries uh, between now and then. Um, yeah. And... To, you know, I think a really important surgeries. thing for you guys to remember as you're grieving this is that, you know, how fortunate you are that yeah. you had those 
additional 27 years. Unreal. Unreal. Right? Like yeah. 27 years from his first heart attack. Yeah. He li- I mean, he still passed young. He was only 69. And, right. and that is tragic in many yeah. ways, especially for your kids and yep. your nieces and nephews. Yep. Uh, but again, how fortunate were they? They. It's possible they could have never known their Unreal. grandfather. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he could have And that, that would change their lives completely because this guy was such a an important presence for them, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so again, I, I just think that that's you know, something to, as you miss him and as you think, I wish he was still here, as you obviously have to be thinking, right? right. That remember how fortunate you are that, that oh, how yeah. long that he was here and, and how much of these stories that he was able to share with you and your kids. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, we, we do consider ourselves lucky, like I said, and, and you just said it, you know, it's, it's never... It's never easy. The way I've tried to explain it to my kids is you just, you, you never, you're never ready for it. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're yeah. never ready for it. Um, no. I could have told them a year ago the exact date he was going to die and you still wouldn't be ready for it. Right. You know, you're, never, you're just never ready. Um, right. Never an easy time to lose a parent. And yeah. uh, it was hard. And we got a big, strong family, good community. A lot of people reached out and it was just a, yeah, I, an amazing thing. I went to the wake. I had a, uh, uh, we did our, had our Christmas dinner for seniors at our Masonic Lodge that day. Yeah. And uh, and Ron Higgins and Lorna Urquhart were there yeah. because they put on. They're the ones that put on that event. And they so they couldn't make it to the wake. I was on my way home and thought, well, I'll stop in. Um, and there was only a little line outside. Yeah. And, and I had heard from Maki that you know there was a long line, and I thought, well, I'll stop in if there's a short line. I'll go and because I was going to go to the funeral the next day anyway. So only like ten people outside. No problem. I get inside. And there's like 60, yeah. 70 people in yeah. line in front of me. I had to wait like an hour till I got to see you guys. And, and that went on all day. Right. And like I just remember thinking um, about that, that like how, how uh, what an amazing tribute. Unreal. And how incredibly overwhelming that must have been for you guys yeah. when this did happen kind of suddenly. And then you're standing there for six hours or whatever yeah. it was yeah greeting hundreds of people that re- remember your dad it was amazing i you know we we I, more than one time during the wake we all kind of looked at each other and we're like who was this guy you know like how did how sure. did where did all these people come from i mean you know we were we we're off air before earlier we we're talking about like uh people who are introverts and stuff like that and that was my dad yeah. like my dad d- didn't have very many close friends he kind of was to himself huh. hung out in the house a lot they'd go out they'd have a good time but um yeah. he was he was to himself a lot, and wow. uh, and, and interesting. to see all that. these people show up and pay tribute, it was just it was an amazing thing. It was really, it really was, and it was it was shocking, really, to uh, quite honestly, to my family and I. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what was that experience like? Of you know, again, as we talk about this stuff and and the pain that we deal with in life, and you've obviously just gone through a really painful thing, you know. I think it's important for you to to talk about it because it's good for you, but also it helps people, other people out there that have been through stuff like this yeah, to sure. give them perspective. So, you know, what was that whole process like of having to all of a sudden, you know, put on this wake and this funeral and and deal with the emotions of your kids and their nieces and nephews and yeah and and the overwhelming support that you got, yeah. uh, which obviously helped you get through it. Maybe you couldn't have gotten through it without that, right? So um, just to, to recap how everything went down, my dad, he died from a heart attack. Um, you mentioned that I work as a police officer in the city. Uh, that night, I had worked an overnight shift. My dad, if 
for those that don't know, was a crossing guard in Watertown, a job that he started about five years ago or so. Right. Um, had bounced around from post to post and, and finally found a home at in front of the Cunniff School in Watertown on Warren Street. Mm -hmm. So he's at Warren in Cleveland, um, two streets in Watertown, right near the, right out in front of the Cunniff School. Uh, I had just finished my shift. It was snowing that morning. Cleaned off the drive. I was about to drive my kids to school before I went to bed. Um, and right before I was about to drive my daughter to school, I got a call from a colleague who said, initially, the call came out that the crossing guard was hit by a car and they were doing oh, CPR. Wow. So um, he called me, he said, your dad was just hit by a car, they're doing CPR. And I, I knew where he was, but yeah. my first thought was, you know, geez, what's going on here? You know? Yeah, I got to get over there. So my two kids were at the house. I told them to stay where they were. I'd be right back. Something happened with, they called my father Beepa. Uh, but they, I said, something happened to Beepa, I'll be right back. Uh, not knowing what I was going into. Sure. Drove to where I knew his post was. Uh, traffic was all backed up and blocked off. Uh, literally just put my truck in park, ran, I don't know, maybe a quarter mile or so, probably the fastest quarter mile I've ever done in my life. But uh, got there in time to see them doing CPR on my dad. Um, you know, kind of first first uh, responder instincts kicked in. I thought, geez, what can I do? Jumped in the back of the ambulance realized like you know i'm there was, he's with medical people like there's nothing i'm gonna do yeah. um and then kind of lost it for a minute uh yeah, obviously naturally uh uh and then realized like geez i gotta make some phone calls i gotta do some things here so started making some phone calls all the while in the front of the ambulance all the while them doing work on my dad in the back and just through my line of work i've done cpr on a number of people i've been in situations like this i knew it wasn't good i knew it was kind of bleak and that you right. know him being a sick guy that you know, this was probably it, you know. Right. Um, they had been doing CPR for a little bit. So um, made my phone calls, did what we had to do. Um, was obviously really tough. Uh, the phone call to my mom probably being the toughest. Of course. Um, but even to my wife, uh, Nancy, who just, called, she was at work and calling her and said, hey, my dad's, he's dead. They're doing CPR on him in the back of the ambulance right now. I need you to get home. The kids are at home. Yeah. And sending her home right. to a, a house with two kids and explaining to them that, their grandfather had just passed. So um, it was a lot of emotion, obviously. Um, and we have a great uh, support system. Our family's big and strong. And uh, I think by noon, we were all back at my mother's house kind of planning things. And there was more food and alcohol being served up than you could yeah. imagine. But, yeah. um, you know, kind of went through that all together. Um, ironically, a weird twist, my younger sister, Krista, Married um, AJ Urquhart, who is part owner and runs the McDonald Funeral Home. Right. So he was there not only in support of my sister and my family, right. but also to take over the logistics of everything that goes yeah. into planning well, a wedding. What a blessing. Right. The kid's amazing. I mean, for him to be there, the emotional aspect of him being there, um, just for the family and, and doing all that stuff, but then handling all the logistics was just, I can't imagine trying to handle both roles of that. And yeah. he did a fantastic job. Um, yeah. So And trying to, you know, console his wife who just who, lost who had, her dad. Who just lost her dad and just had a baby, you know, oh, a right. month or two before. Right. So um, he was playing multiple roles and did an amazing job at it. Um, yeah. And really helped my family through it. And it was time. a beautiful service. I mean, it was, uh, yeah. all the way until the cemetery with, you know, taps and yeah. the full military honor that he deserved oh, again. Oh, goodness, yeah. I mean, it was... Uh, Another weird twist up there, uh, Brian Gannon, who was... A police officer in Watertown, after 9-11, left and went to the military, um, went to flight school, became a Blackhawk pilot, did a bunch of tours overseas, 
Um, he's now on the base in the Cape and is a chief warrant officer for mm, um, wow. pretty high ranking guy up there. Yeah. Uh, he was the one who presented my mom the flag, wow, which was, right. you know, like, and he was a close family friend. He still is, uh, right. but he was, you know, we were really, really tight when he was around here. Um, it was a nice touch and, you know, very emotional touch. Yeah. But uh, everything was just planned out to it. it. It worked out great. Like you said, it was a beautiful service. Um, and the support, I mean, it was just amazing. I, I don't, I don't think there was a, a time for a week where there wasn't 20 or 30 people in my mom's house on Waverly Ave. And, right. and, um, it was just, it, and even to this day, I mean, I went to CVS this morning and the pharmacist is talking to me about my dad, you know, like it's just, it's amazing. Every, I, and I called my mom right away after to tell her the story. I share these stories with her. It kind of brightens her day a little bit, yeah. I think. Um, well, I mean, that's how we connect to people that are gone, right? Yeah. Through the memories that we have of them. Sure. And one of the reasons I started this whole movement of philosophy was that I came to a realization at one point, like I was, we were talking off air about like how I got to do all this stuff. And I just realized that at some point, none of this stuff really matters, right? right. The only thing that matters and the only thing we take with us when we leave is the memories that we shared with each other sure. and the love that we shared with each other. And so, yeah. again, you guys are blessed that you have so many memories of him and the kids have memories of him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of memories, did he ever share the stories with you about how he got these Purple Hearts yeah. and the Bronze Star? Yeah, he, so he let's, did. Let's hear about that. All right, so um, two Purple Hearts, a Bronze Star. There's actually another medal in here. I didn't even know the medal existed, but uh, it's an it's a Agent Orange medal. My dad, the VA's been great. Uh, we've been working with the local VA rep who um, my dad's cause of death was directly related to the injuries that he sustained while he was in Vietnam. No kidding. So uh, the VA stepped up in a huge and way. And they actually admitted that. Yeah, they did. And they, they, that's not always the case. Exactly right. <laughs> and and, uh, and, and it, it kind of puts a lot of things in perspective, right? Like um, my dad never really talked about the military. Never complained about being as sick as he was. Yeah. And maybe the fact that he had a heart attack at 42 was because of what he did over there. But um, so Agent Orange, he was directly exposed to Agent Orange, which gave, you know, not necessarily immediate effects when he was over there. Right. But when he came home, suffered a lot of the effects from exposure to Agent Orange. Um, Purple Hearts. So one, one, and he, he, my dad faced a lot of heavy combat. He was in Vietnam from 69 to 71 in country. Um, one of the Purple Hearts was he got shot in a firefight, got shot in the hamstring um, and was wounded. Got the Purple Heart for that. Uh, the second one was um, he stepped on a, a pressure plate um, booby trap type thing and wow. he got blown up and... Uh, you know, funny side story. I think I shared this with you off air, but he got wounded there, went on R&R &R or whatever. Actually, I think he went AWOL. He told me a story, a funny side story about how he went to AWOL. He just stayed on R&R. &R. No they way. had to come grab him. Yeah. He just didn't Where really was want to he? go back. I think they sent him over to Hawaii or something like that. And uh, who would want to leave I know, that? right? But uh, <laughs> a couple of uh, MP guys came over and grabbed him, scooped him up, stuck him back in country. Um, but he, he, uh, he had some knee problems. Uh, after it was probably only like six or seven years ago, and the doctor said, um, "Do you have any metal in your body?" And he said, "No." And I said, you "Sure." He said, "Yeah." So they took an X-ray of his knee prior to doing any work on him, and like, hey, the camp doctor comes back and says, "Hey, you said you had no metal in your body." He goes, "I don't." And he said, "What the hell's this?" And he points to like these five metal specks <laughs> in his X-ray, and he goes, 
oh, geez, that must have been from Vietnam when I got blown up. And the guy's like, wait a second, you know, you got blown up in Vietnam? <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's like, they just left the shrapnel in there, I guess. He's like, you don't even know if they took it, you know, so it's it kind of a funny side story, but it was a good thing they didn't stick him in an MRI or anything like that. And, yeah, you know, right. Ripping were... metal out of his body or anything. So, <laughs> but, um, so he had a knee surgery. That was one of the other surgeries he had, but yeah, uh, knee surgery from them. But that was a funny side story. But yeah, he's, he had stepped on a uh, pressure plate. Um, the way he told the, told the story was that they realized he had stepped on it and knew that upon release of the pressure on the plate, it was going to blow up. Whoa. And... So he's just standing there going. He stood there and he's what, like, I don't, what's, the next get out of the what's the next move? He says someone ran and tackled him and it blew it blew outward and he was kind of straddled on it and it got like the insides of his legs and obviously right where his knees in his knees was a bunch. So they took a bunch of shrapnel out of him. Anything um, happened to the guy that tackled him? Uh no. He he cleared apparently and was wow. good. Yeah. So it was a pretty pretty intense uh story. He must have got a medal for that too. He so that, that yeah, guy. yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was funny. Like we, we we've gone through his yearbook at Camp Ward, and he's, he can point out guys, and he can point he well he could point out guys that were gone and that it, that it didn't make it over there, and lost a lot of good friends over there. And, and uh, yeah. like we had talked about, there just wasn't the support really and when he came back. Where was that? Just so people know where that is, Camp Ward. Camp Ward's in California. Okay. Yeah. So um, he the Bronze Star was. Um, a, the Bronze Star was a uh, firefight. It he was he said it was around Christmas time. Um, they got into this, uh, a pretty heavy firefight, and um, you know one of the traditions in the in the U.S. military anyway is not to leave the dead behind, right? So, sure. Um, somebody had gotten kind of hit almost behind enemy lines. Uh, he was ordered to go grab a guy. Uh, went and grabbed him, brought him back. Um, Continue with the firefight. He's ordered again to go get another guy. Jeez. He's like, you know, Jesus Christ. And he, he ran out there anyway and did it. And uh, the, the the funny twist in this story is he was ordered a third time to go back. And um, and, the, and he basically told the commanding officer, F you. He's like, I, I ain't going back. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, and he's like, I was ready I'm, to I'm be. two for two. Yeah, yeah like, I don't want to try a like, third I've been time. Shot at, I've been shot at way too many times here. So, um he essentially told the guy, "F you!" Disobeyed the order. Figured he was going to get in trouble wow. for it. Yeah. Um, and you know, lo and behold, the guy wrote him up for an accommodation and, and for a bronze star, and that's what he got his bronze star for. Wow. So, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you talk about heroics. I, I don't think at the time he thought he was doing anything heroic. Um, I think I joked with you uh, through conversations we've had over the years that like it was really hard. I became a police officer in the year two thousand and. Um, never involved in any firefights or anything like that, yeah. but I'd come home and think I had a pretty cool story. Right. And it was like, yeah, you know, whatever, you know, like, uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Good for you. Um, so I, I think my dad took a, an incredible amount of pride in what I did for work. Uh, I think his way of telling me, I, I told this to somebody recently was every time I left his house or I saw him and I was in uniform, he'd always just say, be careful. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, yeah, made me realize that he he knew what I was doing could be, yeah, dangerous. Not quite Vietnam dangerous, but it could yeah. be dangerous. Well, and, uh, I mean, look, you guys, you know, had the Boston Marathon bombing uh, perpetrators. Yeah, were caught in Watertown, right. and you guys, you know, that was a very dangerous situation. Certainly, and, yeah. and one that we thought that none of us would ever be. And I was in California at the time, but my, my, much of my family and friends were there. Yeah. And like to think that something like that could happen. Uh, you know, you guys uh, uh, put your. Do you do put yourselves on the line every day? Because you never know what 
crazy person's going to be out there doing whatever yeah. in, in any small town. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, that hit home, obviously. And, yeah. I, and I think to tie that back, just not not to get off topic, because I want to continue to talk about your dad in Vietnam. But what we what I said about, you know, military, uh, military people, men and women at the beginning also goes for police. Right. Yeah. Like there's this movement in the country that there's these bad cops that do these bad things based on racism and sure that does happen and that's a major issue uh, and I don't want to take anything away from that but don't forget about the millions and millions and millions of good cops in this country right that are doing things for the right reasons and doing things the right way and are actually protecting us right. from the bad and crazy people that do stuff that's that's not safe right and and, uh, and you're right and and I think it's uh you know, it's a tough time to be a cop in this country sure. in light of a lot of things that have happened. Yeah. And uh, I think the news takes things and puts their spin on it. Yeah. Uh, I just remind people, like I try to remind people when, when we have candid conversations about stuff like this, that uh, it, it's the same type of stereotyping that people are using on the other side of things, right? So yeah. uh, if you've had a bad experience with a cop, right? you know, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't speak for all cops, but uh, you don't have to paint that brush of all cops are bad, right? right. Uh, if I had a bad experience with anyone, I'm not going to, take their race or their gender or whatever and say, right. I hate all those people. Yeah, put um, a blanket on it. Right. And a lot of people do that, and it's a, and it's a shame. And, and I think, obviously, the, the media drives this narrative sure. a lot of times, and it just sure. becomes an issue. So Yeah, I mean, that's what we have to remember is that, you know, there are millions of cops in this country. Yeah. Of course there are going to be some bad ones. Right. In any profession sure. you can think of, there sure. are bad people in it. Absolutely. That's just the we're human, right. and that's the way it works. Right. So. Uh, that's no different based on any profession or, like you said, any gender or race or whatever. Right. So I think we all need to be more careful about how we stereotype and blanket things. Sure. Stereotypes are there for a reason because there's generally some bit of truth there. But to use that as a rule right. because of a stereotype, because one certain thing happened or didn't happen, is very dangerous. Right. And uh, I think we all need to be more careful with that. And, and I am fortunate enough to have lots of great friends that are cops and firefighters and in the military. And so I know for a fact that there are, are good people sure. that do these jobs. Yeah, yeah. The people that think there aren't, you're not getting out there and meeting enough people that do these things because right. most of them are good people. Right, yeah, I agree, I agree. All right, so enough on that. Yeah, definitely. Back, back yeah. to Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so where were we? We were talking about uh, what he did for the Bronze Star. Yeah, bro. uh, um, all, and, his, all his medals here. I mean, they just, it's... And it's, so when did, how many years was he there and, and when did he get out? So he, he enlisted right after, he graduated high school in 68. Allegedly. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. Um, <laughs> but the, the timing, the months and stuff kind of add up. But he, so he joined uh, the military in, I want to say it was 69. He was in country for till 71. He got discharged honorably in 71. Um, so two years of, you know, just on and off heavy combat and, and uh, exposed to a lot of different things. Um Came back in 71, uh, moved back to Watertown, actually lived with my, moved in with my mom and her parents on Waverly Ave. Right. And that was home for the rest of his life, right? Yeah. So he, he he lived there. Um, I grew up there. Um, my grandparents lived downstairs. We lived upstairs. Uh, my older sister, Kim, kind of tra- kept that tradition alive. My parents then moved downstairs. My sister and her family moved upstairs. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And... Um, 
and he lived there until until his passing in, in uh, December. So right. Yeah. Well, now I, I guess I we talked about this a little bit off air, and I guess I should introduce this story because oh, it, it's a funny story, and we're kind of it's a little bit of a heavy episode, so yeah, let's yeah. lighten it up a little bit. Right. I was reminded at at Jimmy's wake that. Um, Apparently, we were doing some underage drinking at your house back in the day. You were. By the way, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah I, no, by we, I mean me and yeah, my right, friends. I didn't right. mean to include you because no, yeah. you were much younger than us. I and, was. Uh, I didn't remember it until then, but once once they told me about it, I did it. And I guess your dad came, had come home. Yeah. And me and one of the other guys split and ran. Yeah. Which, by the way, I would do again. Yeah. If given the chance, especially what I know about your dad yeah, now right. that I didn't know then. Right. And left two other friends there yep. to deal with your dad yeah. as their um, underage drinking in his house with his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting <laughs> night. I was young. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, uh, I think I was about 12. You guys were probably about 16 or so. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. We didn't make great decisions. By the way, I'm not, we're not condoning underage drinking. No. We're laughing because it's, we, nobody was hurt and nobody was affected by this. But right. obviously it's a dangerous thing and um, uh, we, we need to be careful about that. So kids, yeah. kids out there, I don't. I don't look uh, as as fondly as I used to on my days of <laughs> underage drinking and doing silly stuff. I would definitely do a lot of things different. Oh, I think we all would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I had the chance. Having said that, it is a funny story. It is. It uh, was. Because nobody was hurt. No. It uh, was. Luckily for the other two guys that we left behind. Definitely luckily Nobody was yeah, hurt because yeah. uh, Jimmy could have thrown the beat down oh, on them. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That was, that was interesting. Uh, uh, that, that night I, I, I remember very clearly him grabbing me by the shirt collar and telling me, if you drank anything, I'll break both your arms and legs. And I, <laughs> oh, and, boy. And he meant it. Yeah. Yeah, it I like, can't imagine I, he said that in jest. Yeah, 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 right. But, uh, that was a clear yeah, message. Well, I was young, and, and, you know, it was just like, you know, you look up to your older, bro- your older brothers and sisters, and in my case, my sister, and it was just like, ah, she's doing it, whatever. I didn't drink that night, but it was, uh, yeah. it was he had come home. We ta- he talked about him being an introvert. He was at a party and just wasn't having fun. Came home. <laughs> and it was all with my mom. I don't know. My, probably not the brightest idea for my sister to have a drinking party at the house when my yeah, parents well, went out for we dinner or something. We weren't full of but. bright ideas no. back then, right, Kim? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I mean, I got in trouble. My parents always had this because times were very different back then. So, again, I'm not outing my parents, but they right. had this rule that, you know, listen, we don't want you out there drinking, but we know you're going to do it. So you, when, when we're together, you can have a beer or two. Yeah. Like that's the way it was back then. Uh, of course – I didn't follow that, and right. I was pushed, and then got caught, and right. got into serious trouble. Yeah. So it backfired the plan. Their plan. Yeah. Yeah, their plan did not work because yeah. we did not respect the rule. I'll remember right? that. As, as I have kids a don't. Son, who's, who's yeah, don't that give age, them you know? too much <laughs> leeway because they're they're not going to respect the rule. That's right. my my impression. That was my experience anyway. Right. Um, and again, times are very different now. So, like, I I highly discourage any underage drinking, and even a lot of drinking for adults. There's a lot of adults that oh, really goodness. can't handle yeah. drinking. You see that every day on yeah, the job, sure. right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, and some of the people we grew up with, where you just look at and you feel bad that, like, hey, this thing's got a hold of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, Thanks. again, I don't want to make light of that because it's a serious thing. And sure. We've seen many of our friends, and not only that, but, you know, uh, people talk about gateway drugs. I think alcohol is the biggest gateway drug that there is. Agreed. Um, and we've lost several people from yeah, Watertown yeah. to the opioid crisis over the last 10, 15 years. It's amazing. Um, and just a sad tragedy 
right? And it is. Uh, you know, I think all of that starts with with drinking and thinking that it's harmless, and then all of a sudden you're doing all this other stuff yeah. because you're making the thing with drinking and the reason why I'm not drinking right now and why I'm trying to take a step back in general in my life is that um, we don't make great decisions when we're drinking, no. right? It's not meant for that. No. Uh, and my whole movement is about self-awareness, self-evaluation, and making good choices. Yeah. So am I just going to be the guy that's full of crap and talks <laughs> about that and then goes out and gets hammered right. and does stupid stuff right. that I have to be held accountable for later? Like, I don't want to be that guy. Right, right. So I've taken a serious look at my drinking yeah. habits. Um, but and again, that's a little bit off topic. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like we needed to, no, since I shared that story, yeah. we needed to do a little public service <laughs> yeah. announcement exactly. along with it. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, so then he gets out, comes back to Watertown, and I remember your eulogy. He had like seven different jobs. He owned, he managed the yeah. Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, he, he talked was, about he was a crossing guard. Yeah, he did. So he started my so my he I think he worked at Fenway Park at one point. Oh right, selling yeah, tell that story. Yeah, so he used to. That's I, a great story. Yeah, so he, he was he'd sell concessions, and I met a friend of his. Recently. For those who don't know, uh, Watertown is about six to six and a half miles from Fenway Park. Right. Depending on what part of Watertown you're in. Right. All right. So tell this story. It's so a great one. yeah, so I met I met um a guy at, well I've met I had met him in the past, but he worked at Fenway Park with my dad. And he he would tell me how crazy my dad was, and I never I never you know I was like yeah whatever, and he's like no no you don't understand. we all think our dad's crazy anyway yeah You're yeah. Like, yeah I know he's right, crazy yeah. what are you telling you're not, not telling me anything yeah, I don't Robert's know crazy yeah for in sure a good way. yeah 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 but uh, he's he's like no he's like he was he was a nut he um, he would he would run to Fenway Park for work while I was on the tee he'd beat me there work <laughs> and then turn around and run home. And I was like, come on. He's like, yeah, he's like six, you know, like you said, six or seven miles. Yeah, so just, just a little to, half marathon yeah, to and from you know, work. Like no, no big deal. No big deal. So, so it's unreal. I wish I could do that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, again, speaks to the mental toughness that he had and yeah. that was formed at a young age. Absolutely. Absolutely. With some of the stuff that he went through, like to him, that was like, no big deal. Run. Right. What, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, why would I be, especially as an introvert, now yeah. that you're saying it. Right. I, like, who Get wants to train? be stuck yeah. on the train with all the annoying people or and the germs? A, pay a dollar I could for just a run by yeah. myself yeah. and run. not have to yeah. talk to anyone. Exactly right. yeah. no, <laughs> I mean, it makes perfect sense if you're in good enough shape to do it. Yeah. And, he, and, and I don't know it was necessarily training, but I mean, I remember as a young kid, him just saying, like, yeah, I'm going to run the marathon. <laughs> right. And he, and he went out and ran it one year. And it was like, you know, the it was Boston like, Marathon? Yeah. yeah, just like him. With his heart issues. Yeah, I mean, it was probably. Probably prior to him having any any heart attack, and probably even re- before he realized, but with like, no he training, was sick. no training. Like I, rem- he, st- I remember I, there's a picture he's, of him and my uncle. I mean, that's nothing compared to what he went through in Vietnam. Exactly, War. again, exactly, right. 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 When, well, because the marathon's all about mental toughness, right? absolutely. Yeah, because after the first few miles, any per any normal person is like, I'm done with this. Yeah. But somehow you keep going for another 15, 16, 17 miles, whatever it is. It's amazing. So I've run two of them. Um, wow. My, and and they're not fun. Uh, no, by no means. It's not meant to I, be fun. I, I had to train for it, unlike my yeah, dad. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's a picture I, my, of my uncle and my dad at like mile 17, and they stopped to have a beer and a cigarette. No. <laughs> I, mean, that, I mean, it's just a different time, right? I mean, it's like there's just, they don't make guys that tough anymore. That's no. So, no. Awesome. Yeah. It's a great picture. Except for you, Maki. Yeah, right. You're that tough. Yeah, we don't right. want to take that away from you, tough guy. <laughs> um, but no, yeah. So I, I, ran, I ran two of them and. Just, I remember thinking while I was running them, like, how on earth did he just decide I'm going to go run a marathon, you know? I had a friend that did that right after we graduated college. But again, we were 21. Yeah. He was in great shape. Yeah. 
And like, I think at that time I probably could have pulled it off. I can't run. I can't, I don't run at all anymore because I played too my too much basketball on cement when I was a kid yeah. and my knees yeah. are shot. Yeah. So eventually I'll have to get knee replacements. And when I do, then maybe I'll consider running yeah. a marathon. It's something Metal I've always knees. wanted to do for the mental challenge. But yeah, to think about not training just no. like, ah, I'll get off the couch and then stop, have a beer. See, I mean, I guess they figured they only had nine miles <laughs> yeah, left to go. Right. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but after what you went through in Vietnam, yeah. that's nothing. Yeah, and my uncle was a Marine, so he was just he as nutty that. as my dad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, honestly, to like, save their lives, yep. they ran like that. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that, and again, it just relates back to that story that I had with, you know, whatever I felt I went through that was tough. Like, mm-hmm. nothing, mm-hmm. nothing compares to what he was going through at eighteen yeah. years old. And, yeah. and I think he took those. Th- there was nothing I didn't think my dad could do. You know, I mean, he got older. I saw him get sicker. Obviously, physical things became an issue, but it was just like he was just a very, very mentally strong individual. And, yeah. and sometimes that came. I mean, when he'd get angry. You, you ran like he was angry, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. It, 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 but, well, you know, a lot of this is, it's really weird because my dad always wanted to go into the, uh, be a part of the military and service country, but he never did. Right. So, uh, but other than that, everything that you're saying is like exactly how my dad is. Yeah, it's, it's generational, right? He's I mean, an introvert, he's a tough guy. Just a quick story. He just had a very minor prostate cancer Yeah, and oh. he still works at Jeez. the age of 77. He goes to, Unreal. um, he uh, works at the transportation building downtown. So he takes the bus and the T in every day. Every day. Good soldier, right? In, in that way. Uh, show up to work, do your job. He's actually one of the state workers that actually works. No offense yeah. to anybody <laughs> else out there. But so he had to go for six weeks to radiation to Mass General, which is right across the yep. common and, and, uh, and Capitol Hill from, from where he works. So for six weeks every day, at lunchtime, he went and got radiation on his ass. On real and then went back to work Unreal. and then was like well i'm like 30 minutes less than i should be every day do you th-? i'm like dad do you realize most of the people there wouldn't even go to work no and if they did they certainly wouldn't do anything right because they can't fire you while you're getting right. cancer treatment yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's just the mentality of those story. guys yeah it, they're, they're they're just different like generation. they just think differently than us they're like you just suck it up and do it yeah. whatever it takes whatever it is yeah yeah and i think you know um, it's a different generation. Yeah, too, and right? again, I mean, that your kids and you know, moving that forward to future generations, everybody's concerned about the toughness of kids yeah. and are we coddling them too much? And I think that that's a real issue that w- that needs to be talked about. But just the fact that they had, uh, what they call them, beepa. Yeah, uh, that they had beepa around for so long yeah. and not as long as they would like, but for enough to show them by example sure. that, hey, this is the toughness that you too can build yeah. and have. Yeah. I'm not a special person. Yep. Obviously, I, he went through some experiences that forced him to be that tough. Right. Uh, but anybody can do that. Yeah. And anybody can be that mentally tough, but you have to work at it. Right. And you have to do things that challenge your mental toughness, like yeah. run a marathon right. or whatever, and something else that you think you couldn't do. Yeah. It's, a, it's just that whole mantra of like, uh, just be comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Like it's okay yes. to be uncomfortable. It's okay... Yeah. You're going to get through it and find a way to get through it. And, yeah. and I think that's kind of one of the lessons I, I took from, from my father is like, it's, it, it's okay if it sucks in the moment. You're yeah. going to get through it, work through it, push that, through it. That's where you learn and grow right. is in the discomfort. You oh, don't yeah. learn anything oh, in the no comfort. Way. Yeah. And there's so many people that want to build these comfort bubbles for their lives yeah. about their little job and their family and their house and their whole thing. That's dangerous, hey, look right? It, like it could all go away yeah, tomorrow. Exactly right. All of it. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen. So the comfort bubble is BS. Right. It's not real. Right. 
Um, and so when you live outside that, that's where, you know, this stuff, as I told you, I'm an introvert by nature too. This yeah. is not easy for right. me. I, I have to work really hard to get to the point where I can speak on a microphone and I can go in front of a live audience to yeah, speak, which is the biggest fear of most people, right? right. You just did Myself it as, included. you just yeah. did that at, yeah. the, at the funeral, right? Yeah. And most people would say that they're more afraid of public speaking than death. Yeah. That's insane. It is. But it's true, and I get it, because I have the same thing. And every time I go up, I still have that sort of butterfly, nervous feeling. Sure. But as you said, getting comfortable being uncomfortable, the more I do it, the more comfortable it becomes. Right. And the more I just look past that fear. Which is, and, a, which and, is an amazing trait to, to be able to do that. You know, and then that's what we're talking about. But anybody can do that about any fear that they have. Sure. And that's why I'm, I'm not special either. Right. Like, right? I'm just a guy that decided I wanted to do something important instead of what I was doing. And so I had to overcome a lot of fear to do that. Yeah. The fear of, and my, of my own self-criticism of, am I crazy? Does anybody care about this? Who am I to be this positive guy and try and spread positivity in a world that doesn't seem to want it? Right. Um, but, you know... I thought, I just feel like I have to do this. So mm -hmm. even if it doesn't work, I'll know that I tried. And I had to overcome all of those fears. Yeah. And, and that's what we're talking about is guys like your dad, they got so good at overcoming fear. Right. And I think that that's what we're missing in our kids today as we are coddling them a little bit. You know, we got to also, we can't, you know, bubble put bubble wrap around them and send right. them out into the world. The world is not an easy place. No. People are going to say and do things to you that you don't like. You can't always control that. When right. people tell me, well, they said something and I got triggered. Okay, I get it. And and there may be a good reason for that. But once after the initial reaction of being triggered, you're now the one responsible to say, do I want to continue to let this triggering control me? Yeah. Or do I want to control it and choose who I'm going to be now in this moment? It's funny. I and not to make light of this is obviously very serious, but there's a great comedian. I don't know his name. I'm going to butcher his name, but he's an Australian guy. Okay. And he has, he has a, a skit that he does where he says, you know, it's, it's okay to be offended. He's like, yeah. nothing happens. Like you're not, yeah. you don't, you don't like, you don't catch a disease. You don't die. Like you're going to be right. okay. Like you'll figure it out, you know? And so it's okay to be offended. And it's a, I mean, he makes it obviously makes light of it and makes a, a really good yeah. joke about it and a good punchline about it. But well, my oldest um, brother, Mark, who you don't know, cause he's nine years older than me. Yeah. He's got a great saying. He always says, he just gets very serious and goes, you know what happens when you get offended? Another person goes, what? He goes, absolutely nothing. That's it, right? <laughs> and I love that. Like your feelings get hurt, okay. That's and a nice. little teaser here for those that are watching Zelosophy TV with Uncle Z and friends. There is going to be a support group called Offended Anonymous. Oh, boy. Where we're going nice. to have all these people talk about the trivial things that they get offended by and have a conversation about, you know, being offended is actually a choice. Yeah. And it's usually a really bad choice. Right. Very rarely is it a choice that serves you. Right. <laughs> right, yeah, and that's what we. You that's, can, it's all how you let it affect you, right? So yeah. it's just. It's, it's I can imagine your dad was not a guy that was offended very easily. No, and I get. <laughs> I think it's a trait that I that I took on from him, and I'm and I'm proud. I mean, being a cop, you get to kind of sure. learn how to not be offended. Uh, sure. Uh, and I don't get offended very easily, and he certainly wasn't either. He he uh, he passed that on to me. So. Um, what so that's a good way to transition. What do you think is like the one most important thing, or maybe there's a few. Like, what's the most important thing that you learned from him? And, uh, that, and that you'll keep forever and that you'll make sure your kids keep forever. Yeah, I, th I think I think so something that I've kind of already talked about, like that whole feeling, I, everyone gets down, right? Everyone has a hard time. Yep. Um, everyone's going to get knocked down, and it's not about getting knocked down. It's about what you do to, 
overcome that, right? right. And, How and do that you was, get back that's up? it, right? You know, like you dust yourself off, get up. Uh, my dad was hard on us, and and uh, a lot of what I've been able to accomplish, I think, is a direct result of just how hard my dad was on us and, yeah. and, and a lot of life lessons. Did you know it us. at the time? I didn't. You yeah. know, and I started thinking about it on the way over here, but like little things, like even with sports when I was younger and like he'd throw a ball to me and he'd throw it bad intentionally and yeah. it hit my hands and I'd drop it. Yeah. And, and his whole big thing was, you know, if it hits your hands, you catch it. What's the matter with you? <laughs> and it was like, drove me to be like, if it touches my hands, I better catch it or else, yeah. you know, it's whatever. But, um, and, and yeah, just, I think, and then, and then as I get older, I look at things. And again, I said earlier, um, I'm glad I had the vision at the time to see that like when I was 18 and going through some tough times, 19, 20 years old, whatever it might've been, that no matter how bad it was for me, it, he had it worse. And somebody, and, and that was his whole thing, somebody always got it worse than sure. you do. Um, and maybe not necessarily in the same aspect of life, but they, somebody's got it bad. And, and you can let this control you or figure yeah, out a way to pick pain, it up and Pain on. and suffering is, is not relative, right? Whenever, yeah. Whatever you're going through, is the most serious thing sure. because it's the pain and suffering that you're going through. If you compare it to other people, sure, there are other people going through worse right. things. And it's good to do that, like you said, to give yourself perspective. But it's also good to, to just own it and be like, okay, this hurts. Right. And this sucks. Um, but like you also said, I'm going to dust myself off and, right. and figure, figure out, out a way that's forward that's instead all. of letting it control me. Right. And, and again, my dad's experiences, and, I, and I'm not trying to compare certainly what what he went through to what I'm going through because it's way different and there's no way to compare it, sure. right? Like a, a Watertown cop versus a Vietnam vet, it just doesn't <laughs> yeah, add up. Right. Um, although some of the but situations again, like we may just be similar. Said. It could be dangerous, right? Sure. Yeah. But I think um, just taking that piece of it and just knowing that every it's all subjective. Everyone has their own things that they're going through. Everyone deals with differently. And you can really let something bog you down or you can just figure out a way to Make it not hurt. Make and it, uh, not even just make it not hurt, but just try to figure out a way to push through it. And, yeah, sometimes and, and you got to let it hurt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. In oh. order, in order to let it go. Everyone right? has their own process because right? the the more we resist something, the more power it gets. Sure. Because we're giving that thing power by resisting. Absolutely. Like what you're going through. Yeah. You can't. And I, uh, you know, Marky and I talked about this because you know he's he's your good friend yeah. and he's worried about yeah, it and he sure. knows you're struggling. And I told him, look, you can't fix this for him. Right. Nobody can. Right. There's nothing you can do except continue to do what you're doing. Be supportive. Right. You know, he's got to get through this the way he's got to get through it. We're all different. Absolutely. And he's like, you know, Mr. A-type macho guy, but yeah, I yeah. just I just want to help him yeah, and fix yeah, it. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> no, he's um, been a good, all, like all you guys, all, all, all of our friends. It just it, And we talk about like how the family's gotten through it. It's just been, the support's been unbelievable. And to be able to pick up the phone and call Maki or you or whoever and just talk about you know what you're feeling and being and just being reminded that it's normal you know what i mean like it's okay to have those feelings it's okay to be hurt it's okay to be upset when you're trying yeah. to put on this persona like i got to yeah. be there for everybody else i got to do everything for everybody else and i think that that's uh, important too the one of the reasons why i thought that that part of this is a really good conversation to have publicly is because you guys you and marky and, and a lot of other cops and people that do that kind of work you know you've got to be tough and yeah. and strip emotion out of a lot of things sure. in order to do your job effectively. But you're also human beings. Right. Right. And right. it's okay to be a tough guy and to be sad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I think that that's important for people to know out there that, you know, being a tough guy doesn't mean that, that you never cry. Right. It actually, it shows a lot of strength when you do. Right. To show that you can be vulnerable too, you know, you know, just because, you cry doesn't mean, uh, I know you pretty well. I don't think I'm going to challenge you physically because you <laughs> cried. I think that would be a terrible yeah, move. Yeah. Um, so uh, 
we're getting close to an hour. See how fast that goes. That did go by quick. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask you something now, and you've done a great job of holding it together. This might affect that, so feel free to take a deep breath when I ask you this question. And I, I didn't plan to do this. It just came to me now. But um, let's imagine your dad's got a, a iPhone up in heaven. He's yep. got Apple Podcasts, and he's going to hear this. Uh, what would you say to him? Jeez. <laughs> Sorry. I, uh, had, yeah. I don't know why, but I had to do that. Um. I'm not sure. I, you know, obviously that I love him, miss him yeah. terribly. Yeah. Um, I was never like a gravesite type guy. I've had a lot of close people pass away, but, um, and, and we could go off on a, a tangent about this, about religion and everything else. But um, I've gone up to the gravesite. It's a different feeling I get when I'm with at my dad's gravesite than I have sure. than at other ones. Um, it, I, and I'm not sure why, um, yeah. but. I think, I think I'd let him know, uh, it, you know, in retrospect now, since he's been gone, how much he has taught me. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't always have the greatest relationship. Sure. Um, there were a lot of things I admired about him. Everyone, every little boy talks about their dad being his hero. I think I've found that my dad really is my hero. Yeah. Um, that, that I looked and, and relied on a lot of the things that he's taught me through my life to get through and not even realized it was him who, who taught it to me, you know, uh, right. just that, that it's, and, and it's now making more sense as I think about the relationship I had with my dad when he was here. Yeah. I mean, I was still have a relationship with my dad. It's very different now. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, I, I've, I'm putting things in perspective and again, part of that healing process, right? Yeah. Like you're kind of trying to yeah. put, put pieces back together. And, and that's, I think that's kind of, well, and part of the reason I ask you that question is because I don't really know your belief system. You just touched on it. So I'm glad it sort of matches up with mine that, you know, the soul does continue, right? There's something sure. to that. And sure. the, the consciousness doesn't go away. And right. There is an eternal part of all of us. That's what I believe. So, yeah, he's not here the way you would like him to be here. But he is still here watching over you guys. And he does hear you. Yeah. So, you know, I would encourage you and your family and your kids to talk to him. Yeah. It doesn't have to be out loud. It could be mentally. Sure. You know, with spirits, yeah. you don't have to say it. They they do. They can communicate yeah. telepathically. You have the thought. And you've probably seen this already. You think of your dad and all of a sudden there's a bird or oh, a number or something that pops up and you're like, oh, wow. Is that? Could that? Is he? Yeah. Oh, wow. Hey, Dad. And it's probably just <laughs> it, right? It's exactly what you're thinking. I, yeah. I, I've had that experience. I, I just asked some people going to think I'm crazy now, but I, I was up at the grave the other day yeah. um, and just had this f sense of calmness. And it felt like almost, not physically, but almost felt like him patting me on the shoulder like he'd always do. Yeah. And just heard a voice, his voice say to me, I'm good. Everything's all right. Wow. It was just kind of a, and, and, I, and I'm like, am I imagining this? Or is this yeah. like happening? Well, or listen, is this spirits? You know, what the hell is going I don't on know. Here? You didn't hear, I don't know if you heard the last podcast episode, but we, I had two psychics on and we talked a lot oh, about I'm this stuff. Tonight. That's and good. a lot of the experiences that I've had like that, where you think, and I've had the same one where you think, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, cause my, your analytical brain can't process that. Right. Right. But from s some deeper intelligence, you know, you, you can't recreate that feeling that you got in that moment yeah right no um so i do absolutely believe that is real and anybody that thinks you're crazy i would encourage them to start looking at these things in their life because yeah. the more i look into it the more i find that that stuff is real and that that those that i've lost which again i've been very lucky uh haven't been too many but those ones that have passed they send me signs all the time That's and, a, uh, and amazing. Um, what an amazing gift to for you 
to have that experience just by yourself, knowing regardless of what anybody else thinks, whether they think you're crazy or not, you know, yeah. in that moment, somehow he communicated to you that he's okay and gave you a sense of calm. Yeah, I think I told myself during that too, I'm like, I'm not sharing this with anybody. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> really crazy. Now here you now are talking about it, it publicly. Wonderful. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, well, I said, like I said, when you hear the other one, you'll hear a story about, yeah. like, I had this experience once where I had sort of had a conversation like that with God in Spain on a cloudy day oh and just, like, God. thanked God for the, mentally, not even out loud, for this amazing experience. And I swear to God, uh, I was the only one there, but it happened. The clouds parted above me, and a 20-foot circle of sunlight came down on me. And I felt this feeling. Again, there were no words, but I just felt this feeling. You're welcome. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Am I on candid camera? Am I on on punked? What's going on? Exactly, yeah. But, you know, again, the more stuff that you look into that, the more you find out that that stuff is real. So. Um, what a blessing that, yeah. that he is, that you know that he's still looking around. Oh, sure. You. Yeah, absolutely. And that through things like this podcast and things like your family continuing to tell his stories, that he, his memory will live on yeah, forever. Absolutely. And uh, and I believe you will see him again one day I when it's so. your turn to go I home. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I hope so, so thanks for coming and sharing this with us because I know it wasn't easy for you. Yeah. Thank I you. hope it was helpful for you to sort of maybe get a little bit of it off your chest and I, realize that. It's okay. Absolutely. This means a lot. Yeah, it really is. I really thank you yeah. for having me here. It means a lot. Well, you're welcome back anytime. Awesome. Um, the more that we can taunt Marky, if I have you on five times before yeah. I have him that on once. That would be once. great. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would go over well in the workplace. Yeah. Just kidding, Marky. We're going to have you on soon. All right. So that's it for today. Um, anything that you want to say, if people want to look up about your dad uh you can still look up the obituary obituary james dicker from watertown yeah uh, i'm guessing the mcdonald uh funeral home website would have it too and yeah uh, oh and posted um, on facebook and, and stuff. i saw in the obituary too that he wanted to um, make have people make donations to the wounded warrior project correct in his name and we thank everybody that uh, has we so, got a bunch of donations from that so so people out there if you're moved by this story and by this guy who helped his country um, please look into the Wounded Warrior Project, and that website is woundedwarriorproject.org. Again, uh, regardless of what your beliefs are on war, they can't be more hardline than mine about being against it, and I still give tons of my time and effort to supporting the people that go and do these things because they believe they're doing their best on behalf of the greater good. Truly amazing people. Yeah. And yeah. as human beings, it's important for us to honor those people and respect those people that make those decisions. Um, so please support the Wounded Warrior Project. Uh, there's a great another organization in Watertown that you can support called Operation American Soldier. Yep. We go and we uh, pack up gift uh, boxes for of toiletries and food for active military that are deployed awesome. overseas. Awesome. Um, so that's another great thing for those of you in Watertown to support and for anybody else out there, go support active military and veteran organizations. It means a lot to them more than you could ever imagine. And let's stop the thing where people come home from war and they feel like they're not welcome after they just put their lives on the line for us. I don't, that's something that needs to go away. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, thanks for listening and, uh, We'll end it right there. Thank you.
Wow, what a great episode and a great tribute to a great man and a great American. Uh, I was honored to be a part of that. And just so you guys know, Tommy just left. And before he did, he shared with me off air that he did feel better about everything after talking about it. So um, I couldn't think of a better compliment to what I do. Uh, This is why I do it, guys. Uh, Life is not easy for any of us. We're all going to face incredible challenges that we think in the moment that we're not going to be able to overcome. But through the support of each other, we can overcome just about anything. And that's the point. So we should talk to each other more. We should support each other more. That's what the podcast is all about. Uh, So again, some announcements. Um, The new online TV shows, The Philosophy TV with Uncle Z and Friends, is live on YouTube. We got almost 600 views already in less than a week. Uh, that's great. So we want to keep those coming. And we also have a GoFundMe page. So if you want to contribute to the cause, you can go to GoFundMe and look up The Philosophy TV with Uncle Z and Friends. That's much easier than me trying to explain what the actual direct link is. <laughs> Upcoming appearances. Uh, Sunday, March 1st, I'm going to be at the National Golf Expo at the Seaport World Trade Center. Boston with Hardy from 98.5, the Sports Hub, who you know from the Zolak and Bertrand show, and also the Sports Hub Golf Club. We're going to talk about philosophy on golf, sign some books, have some fun, Sunday, March 1st. Saturday, March 21st, I'll be at the Tennessee State Museum in Nashville doing a philosophy talk on harmony and how we can use examples of musical harmony to build a harmonious society. That's going to be a fun one. And the talk is sponsored by Delgado Guitars and Cremona Strings. And I'm going to be hitting the stage at about 11 a.m. on Saturday, March 21st, if you're in the Nashville area. Thanks once again to our lovely producer, Julie Manugian. Hey, hey, over there in the corner making the show happen. Podcast Studio, as always, is courtesy of Lex Media. They're doing great work over here. Check them out and uh, become involved if you're in the Lexington area. The theme song, we begin lots of compliments on the theme song because I also used it as the uh, theme song for the pilot episode. It is called Surf by Captain Blackheart, my good friends Dino Melito and Erwin Herseg, and you can find them on iTunes and Spotify, Captain Blackheart, and the track is called Surf. They got a lot of good stuff. To find out more about me and Zelosophy, visit zelosophy.org. You can email me with any questions or comments or suggested topics of discussion at info at philosophy.org. Zilosophy on Golf is available on Amazon and paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. It's a great gift for the golfer or philosopher in your life. If you want a signed copy of Zilosophy on Golf for yourself or someone else, you can email me at info at philosophy.org, and we'll get you all set up. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. You're welcome.